Good morning. If you've uh, got your Bibles, uh, open them to the book of Mark, chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid hands on them, and blessed them. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the timely message we're going to hear today. I pray that the word, its seed would fall on good soil, uh, that we would take root the knowledge that you have in store for us today and use it both in our lives and to share in the lives of others that through us you might increase your kingdom. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of times, as we make our way in this world, we look outside and we can recognize that that people are living inconsistently with their worldviews. It's funny, yesterday we had a a butterfly release out at the park uh, for Stanton Health Care. Uh, formerly the Pregnancy Crisis Center. And, and uh, the butterflies represented the lives of the babies who have been aborted this last year. And as I was sharing there at the, at the service, I, f- I felt like the, the Lord prompted me to do some things He's been doing in my life anyway, dealing with inconsistencies. I mean, it was a long time ago when I was in school, and I know textbooks probably had changed but I still remember my science teacher sitting across from me and telling me that life began as a simple cell that's what he said and it's inconsistent to move from that view to say now if you put that simple cell inside of a mother it's not alive It's inconsistent. We realize that if 
in our journeys across space, we find on another planet somewhere, cellular life. They will say, there is life on another planet. As long as it's not in a mother's womb. Because there, it's just a lump of flesh. And I think sometimes as we consider those inconsistencies, right? Look, at least be consistent. If life began, and we all know life never began as a simple cell. There's no such thing, right? Everybody knows that? A, A simple cell was a unique concept, but however, nothing that has life is really simple. When we look at and we consider that, we're... Our our call and a a challenge for us is to challenge the world on their inconsistencies. But I think sometimes we get so focused on challenging the world with their inconsistencies, we maybe forget about our own. Because God's Word's got some challenging things to tell us. It has some, some ways that it wants to to challenge us in the way we live. And and the question, you know, are we living our lives consistent with our worldview? Do we believe the Bible's authoritative? And is that how we live? Because in my own experience, I discovered that when it became personal, it was all too easy to make the compromise. It's hard to live consistent. The Word of God tells us this. In Romans chapter 1, we're told that all mankind, in fact, I believe it goes all the way back to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we're told that the light came into the world, right? And who is it that created all life? The Bible tells us in Colossians 1.16, and John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ created everything that's created. Nothing exists that he didn't create he's the light that came into the world and i believe that light that came into the world has shown on everything that lives so every man is born like romans 1 says with a knowledge of god but when living our life challenges that Compromise is way easier. So Romans says that mankind suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. John tells us that the reason the world is condemned is because light came to the world, but men loved what? Men loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. That's not that man doesn't see, that man doesn't know. And it's not that the world doesn't know when life starts. It cramps their style. And if we're honest, there are times it cramps ours. There are times when we look at what God's Word teaches us, and it provides us a challenge. And I think this is one of those times right now. We look at this particular issue, and we talk about divorce in the church, and God's purpose and plan as it relates to it. And And the definition, if you will, of marriage and what marriage is and what marriage is not. It's all laid out here before us. And the challenge for you and I 
as we look through this section of Scripture, is am I willing to live consistently? Or am I just like everybody else? Who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness because it cramps my style? Am I open to allow God to speak? Let's look at Mark 10, verse 1. It says, Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, as he was accustomed. He taught them again. And the Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. The first part of this section, we have the problem of divorce. And just so we can be clear, it's not a new problem. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought it up. It wasn't obscure. It's been here. You know, it's interesting. I, I have been privileged to travel various places all around the world. And I can tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, whether or not they speak the language or not, kids are the same everywhere. They're the same. I've watched them in, in Israel. I've watched them in Russia. I've watched them in Turkey. I've watched them in Peru in the jungles. The condition of man is not somehow changed based on, on where you are culturally. Divorce was a problem at the time of Christ. That's why they bring it up. In fact, they bring it up more than one time to Jesus and ask Him about it. Really, basically, there were two views at that time. The view of Shimei, Rabbi Shimei, and Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Shimei was the more conservative. He said that, and it's in their, their commentary, the Mishnah, the Babylonian Talmud, is they're looking at the, the scripture in Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 24, which we'll look at in a minute. Um, as he's talking about that, he says, okay, so Moses permitted men to get a divorce if they found some uncleanness in their wife, and so now the rabbis are discussing what uncleanness means. Uh, Rabbi Shimei said uh, only is areas of sexual immorality. Rabbi Hillel said for any reason. So that was what the, where the permit, whether or not it's okay to get a divorce, whether or not it's okay. And the scripture tells us that they're testing Jesus, right? They're, they're trying to impale him on the horns of a dilemma. He's got to make a choice. No matter what choice he makes, he's going to offend or irritate somebody in the crowd who's maybe a, a, from the school of Hillel or from the school of Shimei. But Jesus, as he so often does, goes past it. He goes way past it. And he goes to God's intent. It's funny because a lot of times we struggle and wonder, what is it that God's, what is God's will for me right now? But you know, there's a lot of places where God's will is plain. Do we live consistent in those areas where God's will is plain? Where God means what he says and says what he means. Will we follow it? Look how Jesus answered in verse 3. So he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? I just want to make note of that point. (coughs) Did Jesus say, What did Moses permit you? No, what did he say? What did Moses command? We're going to see that that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Jesus is going to show them in a moment. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. They're referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
They're referring back to, to what the Word of God laid out. So Jesus answered and said to them, This was because of the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. As they're coming to the discussion, they're coming to the discussion from two different vantage points. Jesus is talking about the value and the beauty and the intent for marriage. And the Pharisees are talking about when is it right for us to break it off? When's it okay to quit? And those are from two very different points of view, aren't they? Well, how about this? I, I, let's say I got my license to fly. I'm a pilot now. You guys want to fly with me? Let me tell you. This is how I learned to fly. Yeah, I knew everybody's going to say no. They see me drive around town, so it's no big deal. They can tell that my truck is held together with bailing wire and duct tape, so with the plane. Just so you know. But anyways, so this is how I learned how to fly. I learned how to fly by studying how to crash. Do you want to go flying? Is that how we learn to do anything? Let's figure out how to fail. How should we fail? What's okay? When is it okay to fail? Let's focus on failure. That's not how I want to learn to fly. I don't know how many times I can practice crashing. I want to practice flying. So Jesus is coming from the point of view of what God's original intent is in marriage. He's coming from that point of view. Nobody studies the rules of war by learning how to retreat. Do they? I, I spent a lot of time in the Marine Corps. And just so you know, all the time I spent in the Marine Corps, never one time did they teach us how to retreat. All they ever taught us was how to go forward. And no matter how bad or crazy it got, you go forward. You don't ever go back. So it's interesting as the Pharisees try to trap Jesus. They try to trap him. But this text, Jesus says, is a concession, not the intention of God. In fact, we, we see the, the parallel uh, section in the Gospels that deal with the same issue is in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 7, it says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? So he gets a little more in depth. Matthew tells us a little more information than what Mark gives us. Matthew says they asked him more questions. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Did God institute marriage so that people would get divorced and that's what Jesus is saying he's saying which school is right for which reason is it okay to get divorced and Jesus is saying you're asking the wrong question when God put marriage together he never intended divorce we know that because we look at the nature of God we look at the nature of God. The, the Bible and the church throughout history has taught something called the Trinity. They taught that because the church has wrestled with the truth of what the Word of God says and then trying to, to understand what that means. And so through time, 
for four centuries, they battled over, does that mean this? Well, I mean, that's, that, that's probably a little heretical. We need to picture it this way. And so that's where, by the fourth century, the doctrine of the Trinity comes through. Because it took them that long as they wrestled with the concept to say, here's what this means. Let me give it to you as simple as I can. The Scripture teaches that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Scripture teaches us that God is one God. That God is three separate and distinct persons, yet one God. And so as we work our way through that process, a lot of heresies have come through that. Heresies where we're trying to understand it and relate it in our own language, we start messing with it. The Bible very clearly tells that God is responsible for creation. The Bible very clearly tells that Jesus is responsible for creation. The Bible very clearly tells that the Holy Spirit is responsible for creation. Three separate persons, all given their own distinct will, yet all one God. It's hard for us to move from the finite to the infinite. But it's a little easier for the infinite to move to the finite. And that's what we have, the infinite God moving into the finite. And we wrestling with the comprehension that the Word of God lays out for us. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Trinity. We can argue about it later. But here's what I would encourage you to, to see. Within God, in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has everything. He doesn't lack anything. He has relationship. He has love. He has compassion. He has everything that, in a perfect degree that you would have in any kind of relationship anywhere. God didn't need something. God didn't lack something so that He created. He had it all. And so in His creation, God wants to express the beauty of that union. And so he does it in the beginning of Genesis with marriage. God uses the same words. The same words he uses of his unity. When the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew word is echad. When the Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. He uses the word echad. In hermeneutics, which are the rules of interpretation, the way a word is used in its initial sense is the way in which we want to hold the understanding and meaning. The way that the word echad is used the first time is between a husband and a wife. One. The way it's used next or later, in three books later, is when the scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. As we work our way through the scripture, we can see all those things. But here, I just want you to see, God institutes, the first thing he institutes is not government. The first thing he institutes is not the law. The first thing he institutes is not all these other things. What's the first thing God institutes? Family. And he defines it for us. We don't require the, the Supreme Court to tell us. God tells us. Therefore he made them male and female. Right? He lays out for us the definition of family. Why male and female? Because you're different. You're different. 
there's differences in the Trinity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. It's not mirror reflections. It's unity through diversity. Three separate persons. One God. Two separate persons make one family. Husband and wife coming together and experiencing all that God has for them. So Jesus goes beyond it. He points to the beginning. He says, in the beginning, that's not how it was. That's not how it was. In fact, in Mark (coughs) chapter 10, verse 6, he goes on. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So he's put it in twice. No mirror reflections, father, mother, man and woman. This is God's intent for family. He will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one. And then Jesus defines it all. What was God's original purpose for marriage? Jesus said, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus bypasses both schools. And he says, look, God's intent for marriage was never divorce. That was never God's will or purpose within marriage. And so as he's answering the question, instead of dealing with the problem of divorce that they're trying to to snag him on, he moves to the principle of marriage. Instead of focusing on the problem of divorce, he focuses on the principles of marriage. And he uses uh, analogia scriptura to let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's the idea, right? Not necessarily a rabbi tell us what he thinks about it, but what does the Bible say? The principles laid out within the whole counsel of God. Let's let scripture interpret scripture for us. Jesus is laying out for us that he understands marriage is God-ordained. It's a God-ordained union between one man and one woman. And they are no longer two, but one. So when Jesus said, what did Moses command? I think this is where he's referencing He's going all the way back to Genesis 1. Not Deuteronomy 24, where for the hardness of their heart, he permitted them to divorce. But he goes all the way back to the beginning and said, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. Remember how we started. Are we living consistent with our worldview? Because the reality is, we all want to run to Deuteronomy 24 too. When is it lawful for me to divorce this deadbeat of a husband I got? When is it lawful for me to dissolve my family? When is it okay with God that I do these things? Now, we're not talking about forgiveness, whether or not God still has a purpose or a plan. The Bible is very clear. Is there a sin that God doesn't forgive? The Bible says, all sin and blasphemy... Spoken or done by men will be forgiven him save one, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we, we talked about that earlier. That's not divorce, by the way. 
But my question is not, have you been divorced? But my question is this, are you living consistently? We can't go backwards, right? We're where we are now. Are you living consistently with your worldview? Do you believe the Bible's authoritative? That God's purpose and plan for marriage is that it is a way in which God is intending to show the beauty of love and sacrifice and submission and authority within the realm of the family, which God created right out of the gates, right in the beginning. Are we willing to allow God to, to say these things? And this was a hard thing even for the guys that Jesus is talking to. He lays it out for them. The, the, the Pharisees are silenced. I love it when Jesus answers them, goes beyond where they want to go. And so they don't want to play anymore and they, they just go home. And then he goes into the house and then the disciples do what the disciples do, right? They go, hey, are you sure, Jesus, that's what you meant to say? Is that really... What you're, what you're talking about, is that really what you mean? Look what he says in verse 10. It says, So in the house his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus, they start with the problem of divorce. Jesus lays out the principle of marriage. The principle of marriage is that marriage is intended to go on and on and on ad infinitum. That it is God's purpose that once we are wed, we stay together. Why is that important? Because God wants you to consider your marriage to be something of value. Today, that's not how we look at marriage. Marriage is like a paper plate. I'm going to use it, but at some point I'm just going to throw it away. And I'll get a better one. Maybe I'll get a more plasticky paper plate and it'll last longer. But, it, you know, if that one's not working out, I'll throw it away and get another. But that's not the way God sees marriage. God said, what I have joined together, let not man separate. Staying unified in the place where God wants us. But then the disciples ask the question. So the question that they ask him is, is... Uh, are you sure? Lord, is this really how it is? And so Jesus describes it to them. Now he moves from the problem of divorce and to the principles of marriage to the perils of divorce. And here's what the perils of divorce are. Jesus lays out for us that if divorce is improperly done, then you are committing adultery. Now, sometimes we look at it and we think we have eternal adultery. Hopefully, I can help you see where the Bible, the, the description that the Bible gives us, that, that's not the case. But as we look at it, there is a method and a mode and a plan and a way to do right things. Right? Because let's face it, we're all broken people, aren't we? Yeah. We're all broken people. And that doesn't surprise God. So God made a way. He made a way. But if we are remarried outside of what the Bible teaches, then we're guilty of adultery. And it's funny because, again, I asked the question we started with. Are you willing to live consistent with your worldview? Because I hear a lot of people talk. I, I listened to a guy this last week. He was, he was, he's a bishop. Uh, and so, you know, I would assume he's a bishop. You know, this guy, he, uh, not a Mormon bishop. He's a bishop of the, I think it was Episcopalian. But he is, he's a bishop, he's saying, look guys, uh, um, basically I don't believe any of that book. 
Not a drop. There's some good moral teachings, you know, some good concepts that we can pull from it. But really, what the Bible is used for is to make people hate each other. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking, you know, the difference between you and, and those people, have people use the Bible to hate people? That's, that's not new. Church history is a mess. How come? Because churches are full of broken people. Is that a shock for you? Broken people do dumb stuff. Is that a shock for you? Uh, come on, look in the mirror. There have been a few dumb things you've done too. Church is full. Church history is a rugged thing. But let me tell you this. Please hear, please hear. When the church has done those things, the church has been acting inconsistently with its worldview. In other words, it is not according to what the Bible teaches or what should be done. It is man acting inconsistently with what the Word of God teaches. And using the Word of God as a basis for hate. Or as a basis for slavery. Or as a basis for any other, of the other problems that people used it for. In fact, do you know the only reason that the Supreme Court has a right to define marriage? Because the church gave it to them. Yeah, you see, the church was so against mixed marriage, racially mixed marriages, that it said, you know, we want the state to have the authority to tell people they can't get married, and we don't want people to be able to marry mixed marriages. So during that period of time, prior to the Civil Rights Movement, it handed over power to the state. And the fruit of that is the state redefining marriage. Moving in an opposite direction of of God's intent. So if we live consistently with what the Word of God teaches, then our attitudes are different than where the church has gone in the past. Again, the question, are you willing to live consistently with your worldview? To say, I, I want to follow what the Word of God tells me to follow. What the Word of God says is a sin is a sin. What the Word of God, the way the Word of God calls me to live, calls me to walk, wants me to, to be, that's what the Word of God is calling and directing, and that should be my desire. The Bible lays out for us that marriage can be dissolved, but it's not dissolved by going to court and getting a piece of paper that says you're no longer married. At least not as, as far as, as God is concerned. There are... Four ways, biblically, that a marriage can be dissolved. The first one, the death of your partner. You know, that's that line in our ceremonies. You guys remember it? Till what? Till death do us part. Oh, crazy. That, surely that's not in the Bible nowhere. Well, in Romans chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, it says this, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so she is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. So by the death of your spouse... The Bible says you are free. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says that a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So the first condition, the death of a partner. 
The second condition scripture lays out for us is the immorality of your spouse or marital partner. Matthew 19.9 says this, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. So the Word of God lays out for us that if there is sexual immorality, you are free. Your marriage is or can be dissolved in God's eyes. Is that a command? Does the Bible say, if this happens, thou shalt get divorced? Do you know how I know that that's not a command? There's a book called Hosea. If you come on Sunday nights, you have an opportunity to, to go through that book with Jason. But just so you're aware of what that book is, God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. So Hosea goes and marries a prostitute. And surprise, she's not faithful. And she runs away. And she goes off with her other lovers. The Bible doesn't tell us how long, but in chapter 3 of Hosea, God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go again and love a woman who is loving another man and is currently committing adultery. God says to Hosea, go get your wife back. I want you to go. Why? He tells in the next verse. Because this is an example, an illustration of what Israel has done to me and how I am toward her. He goes to get her, the nation, who is committing sexual immorality with other gods. And so that becomes the example. It's not a commandment, but it is something that God allows. The third reason that a marriage can be dissolved... <coughs> excuse me, is the remarriage of your former spouse. In Deuteronomy 24, where Moses talks about giving the writ of divorce, it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, this is where the two different schools of thought came from, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she is left from the house... And goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes a, a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife. The former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife. She has been defiled. The idea is not that now there's... Something inherently wrong with her. The idea is once she has taken another man as husband. That bridge you can't cross again. The Bible teaches that if you are divorced. And your spouse marries another. You are free. You can't go back. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't go back. She belongs to another now. She's not yours. That door gets closed. The fourth way that a marriage is dissolved, the final way that the Bible talks to us about, is the departure of an unbelieving husband. 
abandonment. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, means this works both ways. Otherwise your children <coughs> would be unclean, though now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. If an unbelieving husband leaves, the Bible says let him go. The Bible lays out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you are married, don't seek to be single. If you're single, don't seek to be married. Don't always be looking for some kind of satisfaction across the other line of relationships in your life. But rather stay focused on your relationship with the Lord. Problem is, are we willing to live consistently with our worldview? Are we willing to say, yeah, that's what... That's what God wants for me. It's a beautiful thing when you're focused on the Lord and you're serving Him and one day you open your eyes and right beside you is the, the man or woman that God's brought to you. And you weren't banging down the doors or running down the streets looking. God just put it together. That's okay. God, God's intent is that you might experience what God has of love and, and blessing and all that he has built within the family. Well, as we look at this, we've seen the, the problem of divorce, the principles of marriage, husband and wife forever joined together, that they become one. And we see the, the perils of divorce. Uh, there's only four ways to do that scripturally, biblically, and be in a, in a place of obedience with the word, now I know, I know, somebody in here is going, but what about, <laughs> take a deep breath. You know, sometimes when I talk to somebody about whether or not abortion should be legal, they tell me the crazy case. You know the crazy case, right? What about rape or incest, which accounts for a minuscule percentage of the abortions that are done. So, I'd say the same thing with marriage. Don't start running down the crazy case. If you're in a crazy case, come talk to me. We'll keep you safe. There's never a reason for you to be fear for your life or for another human being to ever put a hand on you in anger. Amen. Ever. We'll take care of you. But don't run down the crazy case. That's not the majority of what's going on, is it? When they say 50% of marriages within the church end in divorce, it's not over husbands beating their wives or wives beating their husbands or all the other things that people will shout about in court. And they know it. The challenge for us is, will I live consistently with my worldview? That this is how Christ has called me. Because look, we don't have to go very far, folks. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Feel free to write that down in your Bible anytime you're wondering about how God feels about divorce. Everybody know what it says? 
God hates divorce. Why? Because it does damage. It floods his altar with tears and blood, sorrow, and pain. All you got to do is turn on the news and see it. Don't you? The things people do to each other who once said, I love you, across an aisle. I remember when I first started doing weddings, I used to think, I, 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 the people I marry, they're not ever going to get divorced. Man, don't ever say stuff like that. So I think, not, I don't know if the first wedding I did is still together, but it was within the first five. It didn't even last six months. And before you say, well, you probably should have done some premarital counseling. Yeah, I did that. We, they knew all the right stuff. But when it got hard, it was much easier to quit. Look, you're going to be challenged in your marriages and in relationships. You're going to be challenged. But please learn the lesson from your old hairy-faced pastor. (laughs) When I was a kid, when I was a kid, man, I could have told you a hundred different ways that abortion is wrong. But when I was in my mid-twenties, I paid for two. Because real life happened. And when it got hard, it was easier to quit. And I don't think anybody should have to live with those regrets. Will you live consistently with your worldview? from where you are right now. The past is over. Don't sweat the past. Will you be consistent? I'm not ever backing up again. I'm not... uh, I'm ashamed that it ever happened in the first place. And just in case, you know, I would ever be proud about anything again, God let it happen twice. So I could go, yeah, I still didn't learn that lesson. The time for being set in your consistency with walking with Christ is not in the middle of the crisis. It happens now. Before there ever is a crisis. Before anything's going on. Before anything's happening. It's now. You sit together with your husband or your wife today and, or maybe struggling or dealing with things in your past. Look, I'm not trying to lay any heavy burden on you. I'm just telling you, here we go. Let's move forward. Will you look at relationships the way God sees them? Will you live consistent? Because a lot of times in the church today, the reason why we are irrelevant to the world is because our life is inconsistent. Well, roughly the same amount of people are, are having uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage in the church or outside of the church. doesn't matter. When we're growing up and we're young and we're, we're coming into that place, we start to have boyfriend and girlfriend. We think it's all stupid. Ah, oh, you know, this is 
God doesn't know what he's talking about. Besides, everybody else did it. Yeah, be careful walking down that road, man. Be careful walking down that road. Be careful looking in a baby's face and feeling regret every time. Be careful with that road. Everybody done it. You may not want to bear that cross. Will you live consistent with what you say you believe? Jesus would say this. Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things I say? Jesus said, don't deceive yourself. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Living inconsistently with what we say we believe puts us in a real gray spot. I don't like living in the gray. I prefer the white. I want to be in the light. As he is in the light. I don't want to be standing in shades of gray. I don't want to be in places where I go, I don't really know where I'm at. Nope, I know where I'm at. I know I made my choice. I am wearing the colors of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to wear. For, For better or worse, richer, poorer, in sickness, and in health. That is why God gave us marriage in the first place. So that we could learn how to dwell together in unity. Well then, as we close out, look at what happens next, right? He talks about marriage. Where does he go to next? What's the next event? Well, the little children are coming to him, right? The little children are coming to him. Look what it says. It says, and they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. So the disciples, I just want you guys to see this. The disciples, he's, he's bringing them. We're going to see more of this next week. He's bringing the, the children to Jesus. The, the disciples rebuke him. It's a strong word. The disciples don't just say, hey, pssst, oh, you know, your baby's being a little loud. You probably shouldn't be here when Jesus is teaching. That's not what's going on. What's going on? They're rebuking him. Hey, man, get that kid out of here. What do you bring him here for? It's, that's a baby. That's a baby. What? Jesus, the baby can't even talk to Jesus. The baby can't relate to Jesus at all. Why in the world would you bring a baby to Jesus? That's what the disciples, that's the attitude that the disciples are having. But look what Jesus says. It said, um, but when Jesus saw it, I love the Bible, he was greatly displeased. That is Bible speak for they ticked off Jesus. That is, by the way, never a place you want to be. What'd you do today? Oh, I really ticked off Jesus today. (laughs) That's not good. Greatly displeased. He was hot. He was mad, angry. Well, when we look at Jesus, sometimes we struggle with the idea of dealing with anger, right? Oh, Jesus was too holy to be angry. Whatever you got to tell yourself... He is righteously indignant. If that's what you need to do, knock yourself out. But the disciples absolutely knew. Ooh, we probably shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have said that. He was greatly displeased and he said to them, 
Let the little children come to me. Now the word used here is a word for babies or infants. And there's a reason why he used that. And I don't know whether or not these were babies or infants were not there. But I think there's a reason why Jesus uses it. He says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. What's his point? What's his point? I want to, I want to live consistently with my worldview. I want to, I want to be and, and walk and act and, as a person that, that Jesus wants me to be. But then immediately he moves to the picture of the kingdom of God and he says it's just like a place full of babies. How strong's a baby? How much a baby put in the offering? What is it that a baby can offer? Not a lot, right? Jesus says, as he looks at this little child, the of such is the kingdom of God. Man, this is how the kingdom of God is. Looking at all those disciples who think a lot about themselves, Jesus saying, you guys are a bunch of babies like this baby too. You think there's a lot you can do for me, but really? No, there's not. Like a little child. Look what he says next. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So how is that? How does a little child receive the kingdom of God? No credit. No clout. No claims. Has absolutely nothing to bring to God. And whatever a child receives, they receive by grace. How are you saved? By grace, how? Through faith. And where do those come from? It is the gift of God. For what purpose? So you won't boast, right? There's a reason these two things are together. The challenge is that we want to live our lives consistently, right? We want to live our lives consistently with our worldview. And then the tendency is that we're going to accomplish that on our own will and our own power. So Mark says, hey, before you guys take off to try to do that, let me tell you about about Jesus and the babies. He said the kingdom of God is like little children. And, and that's how you got to come. And that's how you get it done. You get it done by grace. By the empowerment of God in your life. By the move of the Holy Spirit. The point of the service as we look at the section of scripture that we look at today is not to say, well, these are the thou shalts. Do all these thou shalts. And as long as you get all those thou shalts done, you should be okay. The point of today is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your emotions. All your mind, your intellect, all your strength, all your will, your desire. Love the Lord your God that way. Focus on that because that's really all a baby can do. If it can even do that. You focus on that and allow God to work in your life. And then as God works in your life, don't be afraid. To go where God goes. To deal with the hardships of life. Because God brought you down that road. To deal with that hardship of life. 
My coach always told me it's always too soon to quit. Always means always. <laughs> it's always too soon. Change is right around the corner. God moves in amazing ways, doesn't he? Doesn't God do amazing things? But we have to be faced with the choice, a reality that says, the Word of God, man, it's, it's got a lot of stuff to say. And people can use this thing like a club and beat people with it. But, that, but that's not what the purpose of the Word of God is. The purpose of the Word of God is to say, man, this is my guide. Directs me, guides me, leads me, shows me the way. And all, all I want to do is love God and follow Him in it. Love God and follow Him in it and ask that the grace of God give me what I need so I can be the man God's calling me to be. The times in my life where I failed, I stood in my own strength. I should have been a baby and let God carry me. But I didn't do it. So my challenge to you this morning, live consistently with your worldview. And the way you do that, just be a baby in the arms of Jesus and let him guide you through. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you, Father, we pray that you would meet us in this place. And God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would challenge our, our ideals, challenge those areas in our life, God, where we have relegated the Word of God to the back seat. Our whole nation has done that in a large degree, but, but well, we should expect that out there. I'm talking about in here. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I ought to walk as He walked. God, I pray that Your Spirit would show us those areas in our life where we have made compromise. Where we have said, no, you know, I just don't want to do this God's way. I want to do this my way. And I pray, Lord, in that challenging, Lord, Your Holy Spirit would move and call each of us to repent. And believe. But that's where you are calling all men everywhere to repent. I don't want to live my life a slave to fear. Fear I'm going to miss something. Fear about what's going to happen if I do this God's way. Fear about what does it mean if I say I'm going to to be the wife God asked me to be. Or fear about what it means if I have to be the husband God asked me to be. Or fear about what it means to be the child God asked me to be. Or fear about what it means to be the slave God asked me to be. Or fear about being the master God asked me to be. God, I pray that your church would choose to walk consistently with what your word teaches because we 
your church decide that I am no longer a slave to fear. You have called me a child of God and as a child of God, as a son and daughter, as an heir and join heirs together with Christ Jesus our Lord. You have so much more for us in obedience than we would ever lose. God, I pray that you would work in this place. Lord God, open our eyes. This world is in need of the truth. But those who are best equipped to give it, they need to get right first. So that they can be relevant in a culture that is desperately looking for someone just to be real. Not real and excusing my sinfulness, but real in walking the walk you call us to. And that we might know the way that we do that is simply by being in your arms. For you work in us both to will and to do. So have your way. In this place, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.